All these people were just looking down at me and in my brain, I was like, they all hate me right now. They just want to get on so we can get moving. And I thought every single one of them thought that I was being disobedient and being overprotective of myself and whatever. But all of those people evidently, because they came and told me afterwards, were thinking she should put that life jacket on before she makes this jump. Welcome to Living As You. I'm Patrick Quinn, a brain enthusiast, mental health advocate, and aspiring medical professional. And I'm here today to break down the stories behind the curtain, the moments of inspiration, the defining moments of our lives, and the shaping influences that have led inspiring leaders to live a life authentically to themselves. Our conversation this week is with entrepreneur, film director, and stand-up comedian Jennifer Jane. An avid tea drinker and cake baker, Jennifer graduated from the University of Plymouth with a degree in psychology. Living between Bozeman, Montana and Dorset, England, she began a career in stand-up and comedy skits, transitioning over time to more the production side for comedy and then film. Up until this point, she has created a short film and written five feature-length scripts. In 2010, Jennifer created Montana Mex, a clean Mexican food brand offering the freshest avocado oil and seasonings such as their famous sweet seasoning blend. At the same time that she was establishing Montana Mex, Jennifer helped produce the award-winning feature film Charged in 2015, as well as a short-form cooking series, Hungry Life. In 2019, she recently founded Proper Good that creates non-GMO clean ingredient meals that can be packaged and prepared quickly. Jennifer enjoys water sports, cats, writing, and lots of cake. With that, let's get to today's conversation with Jennifer Jane. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Chen. How are you? I'm good. How was your birthday? You are so kind. It was it was wonderful. We just did a, a nice family hike. We just watched a fun movie. I don't know if you're familiar. Have you ever seen the Rocky movies or the Creed movies? I've seen the, the Rocky movies a very long time ago, but not not recently. We, we saw one of the, there's like a kind of a recent Rocky, it's called Creed. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's two versions of it. So we saw one of those last night. So that was, that was super fun. But how are you doing since right. we last talked? I'm good. Just uh, the usual, I guess. Just super busy. And uh, I don't know. Just, yeah, just working on proper good, obviously a ton. Um, as you know, I'm banging my way through trying to learn piano, which is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> It is so bad, um, but I think that's you know what happens at the beginning of every journey, I guess. So you know, as you know, I'm only a few weeks into it at this point. So it's uh, yes, I feel like I'm five years old, but doing okay, and um, just working on a bunch of projects, you know, writing, comedy, all that stuff. Well, Jen, to start things off, 
I would be honored to dive into your time. I think it was at University of Plymouth, especially in the officer training corps. There's a, there's a lot on your LinkedIn that talks about how it was a time of, I think, skydiving, surmounting uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, doing a lot of things, not getting much sleep. Maybe yep. your mom would have not have approved. Can you talk <laughs> about that time? Sure, yeah. So that was actually really funny. So it, it actually started a bit before that. So my friend Hannah, we were at school and she decided she wanted to go into the Royal Air Force. And we were 17 at the time, which is way older than most people join those like kids programs. So she said that joining like the local air training corps would be good for her to help her with her application to the Royal Air Force. So I'm like her best friend. She's like, will you come with me? And so we turn up two 17 year olds and there's like all of these like 13 year olds that are like high up in this local like air training corps thing. And it was absolutely hilarious, you know, and I was supporting her. But what was so cool about it, this was just like the local thing where we grew up. Um, we, at the weekends, we'd go and fly planes all of a sudden. And it was just insane. Cause you'd be like in these planes and this wasn't for skydiving, but they put, like a parachute on you and they were like if we give the command jump 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 you jump out the door and you're like okay this doesn't sound safe but really fun and um and from there we did all these things and we obviously made friends with other people outside of our school and that was kind of that and then she went on into the royal air force and i went off to university and then that's when the British military was advertising for people to join the officer training program while at university. And it was just so fortunate because I'd been doing all this stuff with Hannah for like the last year, doing all this stuff in the air training corps. And so it was perfect to kind of try to get into the officer training corps. And it, were, it was really interesting for me because it was like a four day assessment, I guess, where they did different physical exercises. They gave you like a full medical, like a whole day of medical, medical, medical. So it was actually great too, just to, you know, get updates on everything and be like, oh, okay, you know, I can see, okay, whatever. And then you did, you know, just different like um, interviews where they'd ask you some pretty severe political questions, you know, like what you thought about different wars. So it was really quite intense. And then for the physical, it was hilarious because I got, um, a chest infection and I was struggling to breathe on the day of the physical and there was like a tracker for the run and they were like if you can keep up with the tracker then you can pass but if you don't keep up with the tracker then you, you'll fail basically and I could barely breathe and I remember just I literally just ran next to the tracker <laughs> the whole time so I was just like don't fall behind the tracker just stay with the tracker and I managed to do it just but I was really struggling and then you know I went and got some antibiotics and everything was fine but I remember that being really mentally challenging because I was struggling and then anyway then a few weeks later I got accepted and then it was three years of being at university every weekend was out just doing insane stuff like <laughs> just hilarious like learning all about obviously military exercises leading you know like your group and 
flying around in helicopters and sleeping in graves, you know, to stay warm some nights on like Salisbury Plain where it's freezing. And it was just nuts. You, you were just doing all these cool things. So it was really fun. Um, I just saw the sun is coming in my window, making me all stripey. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a pretty insane time. And the best bit was that you didn't have to go into the military. So they were just trying to teach people about the military and, and through it, we got to do just a lot of cool things. And so for me, I, I would definitely suggest for people to explore their, you know, what they have to offer at their universities in terms of that, because you were also paid. So you got paid to do insane stuff, meet amazing people. And it was just really, really good. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend that to, to people for sure. What age were you when you were experiencing all this with that three-year experience at university? So it would have been from about 18 and a half, I guess, to, to 21, something like that. So it was, you know, I was 19 when we did the, the trip to Africa, which is where we did Kilimanjaro in, in Mount Kenya. And, you know, Kilimanjaro is actually very easy, which is great. It basically has like a trail all the way up. So if you're not too affected by the altitude, it's very easy and it was cool because we carried all our own gear. So most people have Sherpas to help them up. And so, because we did it as part of the military thing, we had to carry all our own gear and, and that definitely added an extra edge, I guess. But it was easy. Whereas on Mount Kenya, you're literally like hacking your way through bushes. And there was this bit that's called like the vertical bog, which is hilarious. So you're like walking uphill in like a bog. And so your calf muscles <laughs> just hate you. I can't even um, imagine. And that, and that was just different. It was just hard because it was, there's no trails. Um, you know, we were just camping wherever we felt like it, you know, like we found a cave one night and we stayed in that. And I remember it just being full of spiders and I was just, I did, I'm not very good with spiders. And I remember just being like in my sleeping bag, just, just making peace with the fact, like, you know, where they say you eat joke don't they say so you eat however many spiders a year I remember thinking I'm gonna eat a lot of spiders tonight and that was just gonna happen it was so scary um but it was also really fun and so you have this experience in the officer training corps around kind of the age of, of most college students how did this set you up to begin diving into film documentaries photography obviously the food industry, you have such an incredibly diverse array of interests and mm. passions, which is one of the, the reasons you inspire me so much because oh, I, I look at so many people in this world and I, I truly believe everybody has, has a diverse array of so many things they're interested mm. in, but how many people have actually been able to explore that or implement that in their life in the way that you have. So I'd be so fascinated to hear more about that. I mean, the honest truth to me is that I think it's so boring and obvious, the main thing I got out of it. And that is literally just to do stuff with your time. So for example, I lived in a house with five people when I was at university. I was the only one in this particular um, club, I guess. Um, and, you know, I'd get back after a weekend. So we'd finish lectures on a Friday, straight after lectures you get home obviously all your gear was already packed we'd go and pile onto all the military buses we'd go to like the barracks which was like an hour away and then from there we disperse for the weekend so sometimes that would be 
going up to Scotland to do mountaineering exercises or sometime that would be going you know to the middle of the country and learning about like attacking buildings which was insane they'd have all these like villages that are made to learn so you'd be like running at buildings with ladders and they're like putting the ladder up and then entering the building from the second floor it was just insane and then you get home you know at the end end of the day on a Sunday like you wouldn't probably get back until like midnight on the Sunday and then you'd learn oh you know everybody else in the house had been basically drinking watching tv and I mean not a lot really you know maybe a bit of shopping you know nobody really did much and obviously I had other friends that you know would spend the weekend surfing or whatever but in my particular house like nothing really happened at the weekends it was like a wind down from the lectures relax all weekend party all weekend get back to the lectures and so I think the main thing was just just do things you know just like there's no reason why those two days have to be days where you essentially do the same thing every weekend you know if you plan out your whole year if you're trying to learn a new skill or you want to start a new business or whatever it might be if you were just like right Saturday and Sunday, I was doing 12 hours a day minimum working on something or, I mean, you can just accelerate, you know, and so I think that to me was a thing and especially when you're young, like, it was tiring, but, you know, I was, you know, late teens, early 20s, you got tons of energy, just go for it, I think would be, <laughs> you know, you may as well, you know, if you burn out, you burn out, but you may as well just go 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 and um as long as it's diverse i think you know everything remains pretty interesting i want to hear some of those stories as you're starting to explore on the weekends in university and starting to say wow you know what i like photography or hey stand-up comedy let's try that sure sure I, I think college is a really unique time or especially when you're maybe in your early 20s to begin just trying new things Right. And I'd love to hear just how that shapes your, your journey, your story. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think overall the stuff with the military was great because it did show you that you could just go for it, you know, just do anything and, and just see what happens. And I think if I wish I knew when I was younger, you know, I'm 37 now, whereas I wish I knew when I was in my early twenties, just to not worry so much about what people thought. Cause I think that is what holds people back if they do get held back. And so with like stand-up comedy that definitely had entered my mind then but I never did stand up until I was in my late 20s you know so it definitely took me way longer to do certain things and I and I think honestly there's a difference between your personal personal pursuits and then things that are group pursuits so like with the military it's like oh we're you know now you're in you're bundled on a bus, you go and do these things, it's a group activity, you're just kind of going along with the flow. And it's just very fortunate that all of that stuff was awesome. Whereas when you're doing things like stand up comedy, or writing a book or writing a screenplay, like, these are more, obviously more insular, like personal things where there's no one to like rally you up, right? No one's like, Oh, come on, Jen, work on your set, you know, you're just by yourself in your own head. And I think you hold yourself back then a lot. So I think that would be a good thing for people just to be like, no, like try to rally, rally yourself. Don't care what other people think um, because um, 
no no one cares really you know that's the truth like i think we all worry about what people think <laughs> way more than they actually care um i actually did a set once which i put i purposely did a rubbish set i purposely went up there to just do horribly i didn't prepare i just wrote jokes that i thought weren't very good and i just decided to go up and do it just so i could have that experience of hating it and uh, it was awful obviously but it was also fine. So I think, you know, it's kind of good sometimes just to force yourself to have those negative experiences because they're not as bad as you kind of think they are. You know, you think like, oh, I do badly on stage. Every, nobody will laugh. It'll be horrendous. And yeah, I did badly on stage. Nobody laughed and it was fine. So I think you kind of have to, I don't know. I think often what you fear is not as bad as the actual experience. And then as long as you've got a few awesome friends, which I was very fortunate to have, then it's like it's fine isn't it you've got got your mates at the end of the day and it's all good agreed there's a great quote by a ancient philosopher seneca he said i don't know if you like stoicism or <laughs> stoic philosophers i'm a big fan but he says we often suffer more in imagination mm -hmm. than in reality and, and i love that a lot because i think you hit on such an important point it's so easy to think that the things we do or the, the, maybe the results that our brain is, is cooking up in our mind are going to be so much worse or people are going to care so much more than right. in reality. I mean, I, I know people love you. I know people, hopefully one person in this world like doesn't, doesn't get uh, all pissed off at me. Like, <laughs> we're not that important that someone's going to be thinking of us 24-7. Oh, Jen right. did this. She walked over here. Patrick, he said right. this word. What? Yeah. It's so it's like finding those ways i think to get out of our own way as, mm -hmm. as you mentioned and it sounds oh, yeah. like you've really been able to figure that out and I, again i know that's a work in progress but over mm -hmm. over time hey you overcame that that hurdle and were able to do stand up you were able to get out of your own way how how have you been able to start doing that more frequently in your own life one of the main things is just thinking about it from someone else's perspective so i think like we're super harsh on ourselves right so for me you know, in my like worst case scenario was you go on stage, it goes badly, you lose all your friends, your family's embarrassed by you, you know, like you have these like insane scenarios, right? Whereas let's just say it was the other way around. Let's say you went on stage and you, you had good intentions, but for whatever reason, let's say the joke came off as offensive or it came off weird or, and then afterwards you're like, oh, I'm cringing so hard. Like that came out wrong. It was awful. I would still care about you, right? Like, it's not, I'd be like, oh, this guy's an idiot. You know, you'd be like, hey, it's okay. Like, yeah, there were some people who didn't get it. Like that, it definitely sounded not what you're intending to say. Like, I know that's not who you are. Like, you know, and you can obviously reconfigure and relook at stuff and the people who know you will know that, oh yeah, that was a bad night for you and you know, whatever. Whereas the people that don't know you might well think, oh yeah, I saw that guy perform once and he's a complete idiot, but, does it really matter like it doesn't matter that much and then you know that you know if they see you again like people can change their minds so you know like for people i've seen you know you see them performing like oh that's not really for me but then you see them improve and you know and really get into who they are and then you're like wow this this person has really improved and they're fantastic so i think you just have to give yourself the same consideration that you give other people so that's what I try to think of as like, okay, we're going to do this. If I fail, I know I'm going to cringe. But if, you know, my brother said he was going to try it, I'd totally be, oh, Chris, just do it. 
because it'll be fine if you do fail type of thing. So I think a lot of it is just, yeah, reframing it to try and give yourself the kindness that you give other people. Because I know for myself, I've been way, yeah, way too critical, I think, which is what held me back initially. And then now I try to be a bit more, yeah, just try to be a bit more chill with myself, I guess. I like to put this into words in terms of having more of an objective mm-hmm. view towards myself. Right. And, and looking at myself or giving myself advice or thoughts or feedback like I would <laughs> you or anybody else. I think you said that so well. And especially those things that freak my mind out or the <laughs> recent like 24 hour experience of mm-hmm. running, walking, hiking. Right. When I thought about that initially, my mind is going on overdrive. Oh, you're not this, you're not, you can't do it. Like, but finally I just said, you know what? Come on, what, what, what feels right to me in here? And I was like, go for it. And so sometimes it's so, I think it's about turning our minds off and just, if something feels right in your heart, just take the leap, just go for it. Agreed. Yeah. Can you, can you talk me through maybe a moment in your life where you just turned off your mind and you just (laughs) went for it? I want to hear the details of that story. If one moment comes to mind. That is really interesting. I, there's actually one story that comes to mind, although I don't know if this is actually what you mean, but I'm just going to share it because I think it's a good story. Okay. So it was years ago, I was working in um, the yachting industry. So after university and stuff, you know, I had lots of debts. I went to work in the yachting industry. Again, a great thing to do if you just want to earn some cash because they, you know, they pay for all your expenses. You get paid well, you get tipped well. So it's a way to like get up on your finances if you're in a hole like I was at the time. Um, so highly recommend that for, you know, <laughs> if anyone needs to earn some cash. Um, but basically we, my responsibility was this like 33 foot small tender boat, which we used for like wakeboarding and stuff. And when we'd go on big trips, I would have to attach this boat via a line to the back of the main massive yacht, which is like 160 feet. So basically we're off the coast, off the East coast of the US and it's in Sag Harbor. And so there's this massive storm. It's literally an insane storm. And my boat is like doing this, like in the other boat is doing this, but mine's tiny, so it's going nuts. And I'm basically, I have to lean over the front of the boat, hook it up by a line to the main boat. And then they pull me in and then I jump from the front of my boat onto the back of their boat. So normally this is chill because we're in, you know, chill seas. It's like a four foot jump. It's very chill. And so that's fine. However, on this particular night, it's insane. And there's guests on the yacht and the captain through the radio is just like yelling at me basically to get on the bloody boat. (laughs) And I am like, it's nighttime. We're in a massive storm if I don't make that four foot jump, which I might not because everything is going like this, I will could be lost at sea because it is just scary. And I go back and I grab a life jacket and I spend a second to put on the life jacket, whatever. And the captain on the radio can see me through a video and he's just like, get on the bloody boat, like just hurry up. And all of the guests are watching this too. There's like 12 guests. And I'm just so stressed, just like, this is awful. Like, this is an awful situation. Anyway, so I get my life jacket, I jump, I make the jump, I'm fine, we get whatever. And the captain is so angry with me, like hating on me, 
but three of the guests separately came up to me and like one guy was just like I want you to know like I'm so proud of you like if my daughter was in that situation I would want her to take a moment to put on the life jacket and then like somebody else came up to me and was like you know your life is the most important thing here like never let some angry man try to take that away from you he's like you did the right thing and so all the guests who you know the people obviously who were trying to keep happy the most happy were so proud of me that they bothered to tell me that and I think that was a good lesson because I was so stressed because the captain was being such an asshole to me apologize for swearing on your podcast and I'm so glad that in that moment I was kind of like no like my life is super important to me and you can be horrible so I think yeah so that was just one story that stood out in the sense of a one time where I was just like I'm scared a man's yelling at me I'm really gonna lose my job but I don't feel safe I'm gonna do something for me and then ultimately have you know all the guests be like thank you for being a decent human and respecting your life was a good I think a good lesson so I would say yeah if you're ever in a situation where someone's trying to put you in a place where you don't feel safe just spend that extra moment to try to forget the craziness and just be like you know what could happen because if I had a fallen in that water at night in a storm you know we've done a lot of training even during the day like where we'd be in the Caribbean it's flat seas somebody would jump in the water and you can't look at them and then you turn to try to find them it's actually quite hard to see people even on a really good day and so that was, yeah, a moment where I did something that was, I guess, against what I was being told to do. And I was really glad that I did it. How funny or how interesting the reaction would have been from you or your heart mm -hmm. if you would have maybe listened to this individual yeah. or this guy that was being a total jerk to you. When, <laughs> right. But right. how funny is it that so many times if we do follow that heart and maybe it goes against maybe what we're being told or what our mind says is the rational thing to do, mm -hmm. how awful we feel or the consequences that happen when right. in reality, when sometimes you just have to say like, screw it, that doesn't feel right to listen to this guy or it doesn't feel right to do this. Let's just do what feels right. Even if right. it doesn't go along with what society says, and that's like, gives you the great, I mean, you're, you're talking about this today. How many years ago did that happen? That experience? Oh ages ago I mean that was probably when I was like 24 or something so over a decade ago and I think what was really important too was in that moment it wasn't only the captain that was obviously yelling at me through the radio but also there was the first mate on the on the transom of the main boat yelling at me and then all these people were just looking down at me and in my brain I was like they all hate me right now they just want to get on so we can get moving and I thought every single one of them thought that I was, you know, being disobedient and being overprotective of myself and whatever. But all of those people evidently, because they came and told me afterwards, were thinking she should put that life jacket on before she makes this jump. And so I think it's just a good lesson of like, you really never know what people are thinking. Because if you'd have asked me in that moment, I would have been everywhere on the yacht hates me right now. And that wasn't the case. And every, and in fact, the, the guests were pretty annoyed with the captain for not being more cautious with his crew. So you really don't know. I want to tie this back to a theme that you've 
talked about in, in recent years, you've talked to me about the idea of doing the things in life or taking those concrete steps, whether they're actual tangible steps or more maybe mental steps, <laughs> mental leaps, um, to be able to live the life that maybe not many people are privileged to live and to do those things that maybe not many people are privileged to do. Can you talk about that theme and how that's played a role in shaping your life so far? Well, I think the number one thing is uh, lists. Lists are my life, I would say. Um, whether that's, you know, like having small goals or big goals. So whether that's just, oh, I need to do my taxes, putting it on a list or being, okay, here I am now in stand up. This is where I want to be in three years or something like that. So I think that really helps just wherever you are. I think, uh, you know, we don't come from, my brother and I don't come from a, a wealthy family. We have had a normal family. And so we didn't really have that you know, that kind of massive help if we'd have completely failed, we didn't have that safety net. Whereas I know obviously some other people do, which is great. So I think everyone's on different levels. And I think you have to obviously adapt depending on what level you're at. Because if you've got a massive safety net, then sure, just go and start whatever and hope. And if it doesn't work out, then obviously you can, you'll still be able to eat. My brother and I were in a place where we were like middle of the range, I guess, where we, we couldn't get free accommodation all this stuff but you know if we rang our parents hey we need some food we really messed up <laughs> then we, we could do that but then obviously people are, other people are in a place where yeah they really have no safety net so I think that's why I get nervous sometimes about giving advice on what to do because obviously it depends on where you are because I wouldn't want to encourage someone just go for it and then in a year you know you've got nowhere to live and you can't afford any food so I think for me the planning side is what really allows you to decide what risk you can take. You, you know what I mean? So I think if you're looking at your situation and you're deciding, oh, what can I afford to lose? So don't really bet anything you, can, you can't afford to lose. So I would say, you know, if you're someone, you've got a great idea, but you're very tight financially, then find investors, give away more of your company, maybe at the beginning, because... Although, yes, ultimately you won't make as much money if it goes well, you are protecting the downside. So protect the downside, then you can just go for it knowing like, yes, I can still afford to eat. Um, whereas obviously if you're somebody that yeah, has more money to play with, maybe it would be, maybe don't give away as much equity at the beginning if you're starting a company or whatever. And so I think for me, the main thing is about planning, protecting your downside and then spending the time. Because I think a lot of people think things just happen and they definitely don't. Like I spend just an insane amount of time building, 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 learning, 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 and just sitting down and just putting, you just have to put in the time. Like, like you know, you're amazing at piano. Like obviously you've put in the time to piano. It's that for whatever you're doing. So whether you wanna write a novel, build a business, build a house, like get the dream job, whatever it is, like the, you just have to force yourself through the boredom. I force myself through the boredom all the time because that is the reality of building something. You know, there will, like with, um, with standup, it's, oh, you have a, the idea for a joke, it's really fun. And then once you've said that joke like a hundred times, you're like, is this even funny? Sure. you know and it's the same for like a business obviously launching the first product is insanely exciting launching the 10th 
obviously isn't as exciting. So you have just to, I think, yeah, so I think my top thing would be just protect your downside and force yourself through the boredom to achieve the goal because everybody that you see has achieved amazing things unless they happen to have some insane random ability it's because they they force themselves to you know dunk a hundred basketballs or whatever like every single morning or you know sit there at the piano for hours every day or whatever it is so I think um that would be my main message is protect the downside and do the work I guess can you tell me more about your own process of putting in the work and doing the hours and hours of prep and learning and what does that look like for you? Sure so I usually try to wake up pretty early um, and that's just something that works for me. Um, it's funny because my husband actually is on like the opposite. He likes when he's doing his work he likes to stay up until like 3 a.m and then like sleep in till like 11 a.m whereas I tend to like to go to bed at like 10 wake up at you know five or six type of thing and then that's when I usually work on like my super personal projects which is like my screenplays or my writing or comedy and I love that because it's you know it's quiet it's dark outside most people aren't up like for me that is just a quiet time to really really focus on personal things because obviously you don't need anybody else for that and then kind of around 8 a.m is when business kind of kicks in and so obviously that's a collaborative thing with the team and everybody at proper good. So obviously then that's when the phone calls, the emails, the texts just, you know, kind of kick off for the day. So that's when I'm just sat there working on those projects, which are the group projects. Um, and that doesn't really stop. Like I stop for dinner and I stop to work out, but like I just keep, just keep working really. But because you're switching between so many tasks it feels like you kind of have a break because maybe you're doing some photography. Oh, and now you're doing emails. Now you're doing some planning or whatever it might be. So having a diverse list of tasks, I think really helps. And that is, I mean, that's going to happen to anyone that has um, a business, obviously, because it's just insane to be, especially to begin with when you're wearing hats, you know, every hat there is. And then, yeah, in the evenings, um, you know, occasionally my husband and I would chill out and, you know, watch a couple of episodes of a show or something. But the majority of the time we try to like actively resist that just because, you know, we've all been there, right? It's so easy to like sit down for one episode and suddenly you've watched three type of thing. So we try to, you know, kind of spend some time together and do productive things. Um, you know, usually reading or writing a sketch or, you know, filming something silly or something like that. So just trying to continuously just hit the kind of, oh, this, now this, now this, just essentially like, I think, of, I think of it as just nudging everything forward, like nudge this, nudge that, nudge this. So for example, right now we're working on a sketch and, you know, we, I wrote it the other day and then we like practiced the lines and then we ordered, you know, some stuff on Amazon for the props, um, reached out to a friend to come help us, like, you know, nudging that in the evening um, because it's like a collaborative thing with my husband and I. And then, yeah, wake up the next morning and back to personal projects, followed by group projects, followed by, you know, the evening stuff is usually the easy bits, if I'm honest. I feel like wow. I'm best in the morning and during the day for me in the evening is when my brain starts to be a bit more crazy so I try to do easier stuff and then I think the other thing is just naps like <laughs> it makes me sound like a grandma but if you know if I'm tired I would just take a nap 
I will just, you know, I'll even text my employees and say, hey guys, I'm, I'm out for 30 minutes. I just, if I'm sat there at the computer and I'm not achieving stuff, I will just, yeah, go to sleep for 30 minutes. Cause then when you come back, you are just ready to go you know pumped yeah exactly so it just is great just to like I think a lot of people they pride themselves on I work the most hours I do the most stuff I you know I'm that type of thing I don't get that at all I think that if you're burnt out if you're sat you know we've all been there right when you're sat at the computer you're like my eyes are burning my I'm my brain is distracted just leave just just go to bed or go on a run or go do something else because I think when you're that out of it it just won't work so I think force yourself to do the work when you're awake and functioning and as soon as your body is like not functioning anymore just take that break um because I think you achieve things faster and it's healthier too you know there's a lot of studies about getting good sleep and stuff so I think yeah just just try to stay healthy with it I'm so glad you brought up the naps because <laughs> I was going to ask you with all this work and all these creative creative passions like what are some of those habits that you've implemented you mm-hmm. and your brother or your I mean your whole team every day but maybe well, we'll talk to you personally to help you kind of counter that burnout or to help you continue to live um, mentally healthy, physically healthy amidst all these phenomenal creative pursuits. What are some of those things you do every day? Obviously it's changed a lot through lockdown. Um, you know, I'm in Montana right now and we're not officially in lockdown, but we also kind of are. So I've definitely this year and last year just been very much, you know, locked down and tried to make my own fun, I guess, in terms of, you know, forcing myself to work out at home and, and things like that. But I think in, in the real world, you know, once all this craziness is over, I try to stay, you know, sane, obviously, by connecting with friends, working out with friends, doing just doing the social side of it, because obviously it can get quite lonely because it is individual work, um, especially the writing. You know, I definitely feel like a crazy lady sometimes when, you know, I like laugh out loud when I'm writing because one of my characters did something. I'm like, this is completely made up in my brain, like you are you know your brain is obviously not the computer right you're just not you're just in another place but your hands are just typing for me it is important I guess obviously if some people prefer to you know to be alone more then then that's obviously different but for me I like to yeah have that break with people if possible so you you know you have that social interaction and you know and also share share what you're doing like obviously getting feedback from people is uh massive motivation I remember the first screenplay I ever wrote it was a feature-length film so it's like 120 pages and I was actually writing it when I went to stay with my parents for a few weeks and my dad was just like you're so boring at the moment like you just sit there on your computer all day and I was like well I'm not on Facebook or anything I'm writing a script and he just didn't get it he was just like, you know, we're, we're not a story writing family. You know, he's an engineer. So he's just like, you know, what are you doing? Anyway, I finally finish it and I give it to him to read and he loved it. And so then all of a sudden it's like reversed, you know, he's then, so, so when are you writing the next one? You know, what, what, what's this? And so I think, I think like obviously sharing stuff and seeing some kind of results is very motivating, which helps me and, and I'm sure helps other people. So I think, 
don't set the goal as selling a script or making a movie, set the goal as finished draft one, that type of thing. Like have those little goals and the same with, you know, with like the company, with the food company, it's, you know, there isn't to complete the set. It's, you know, try to find joy in, hey, the website's live. Hey, we sold our first product to someone we didn't know, (laughs) you know, hey, we did this. And I think having those mini goals and celebrating them with your team is a great way to stay motivated. I love that. The journey mindset, focusing on the journey. Yeah. And, and obviously you're, you're shooting for the results. You're shooting for get to this point in revenue or get to this point. But I don't know. I, I look at every day. It's like we, we have a finite amount of time on this earth. And so I saw this a right. lot in school for me, uh, being with a lot of pre-med students. It's so... I think in our culture, especially when he gets to medicine, people focus so much on getting that white coat, getting to be a doctor. If I can only get there, I'm going to be so much more happy, so much more fulfilled. And maybe that's true for some people. I just know for me personally, I'm not going to be any more fulfilled or happy, whether I have a white coat on or not. Maybe there will be some new opportunities and doors new doors will open to be able to help people in some new and cool ways but I think it can be super easy to get caught up in kind of that result oriented and so it sounds to me like you've really been able to establish with proper good your team your creative pursuits uh, that kind of that focus on every day that focus on enjoying the journey have you ever had a have you ever had a moment like that where you end up getting the result and you're like you know what it's it's awesome but I think I think I've had a few moments like that for sure and I think it's it's an interesting one with different projects right in terms of different expressions so for example with the screenplay obviously the full expression of that piece of art isn't really there until the movie is made so you just kind of have to have peace with that whereas if you're writing a novel if you've written the novel and even if it's only your mum that reads it they have at least experienced the art in its full form type of thing so I think that is an interesting one for me where I like I try to force myself to be like hey try to feel okay about this because the, the you know the chances of a screenplay getting built into a movie is so hard so you kind of have to so I guess I've had to reverse it a little bit because I haven't had many of those moments yet where I feel like anything is completed. So I try to bring the moment forward to try to be like, okay, this is complete type of thing. And I guess like with Charged, so Charged is the, the documentary film that we made. And one of the best moments I had, like we had that, you know, the movie came out, it was all amazing and all this, all this stuff. And we get a lot of people reach out to thank us about the movie. This has helped them in some way. And that for me is amazing but I think where I had like the moment of this you know kind of how far it had come was um Eduardo he emailed me a document that I had sent him back in like 2013 which was my outline for the documentary so in it and then obviously the film had been made by that point and it was kind of crazy to see yeah this one document that kind of kick-started the whole thing and now it's been made but the documentary wasn't actually what was the good bit the good bit was after that when people would reach out and say how much it helped them so I think in hindsight I realized that but maybe I didn't at the time so I don't know if that directly answers your question but I think what I'm trying to share is just how yes that you know we got the end of the film awesome but then actually 
because it went so well, it kind of continued after that, if that makes sense. What's a life mantra quote, or maybe, I don't know, piece of advice that you try and live your life by? That's a good question. So it's funny. I have a, so I've built now like three um, floors out of quotes. So my, my lounge floor is actually all quotes. There's, there's a bunch of them that I love, but I think one of the, one of the really good ones I, I really like is easy choices, hard life, hard life, easy choices. Also, if you do all easy choices, then you're going to have a hard life. Cause like, oh, it's easy to watch Netflix. It's easy to not look after your body. It's easy to just basically do all the easy stuff and you're going to have a hard life because you're going to struggle with your health. You're going to struggle with earning money. You're going to struggle with feeling unfulfilled. If you make the hard choices, which is obviously, yeah, maybe getting up early, working hard by yourself, working out when you don't want to, eating healthy when all you want to eat is cake. You know, I, I eat a lot of cake, to be fair. But then you have an easier life because in theory, your body's going to be healthier. Your mind's going to be more fulfilled, all of these things. So I do try to lean into what's hard, lean into the difficult choices, and then it will get easier. Like there is no doubt that it gets easier there's a quote on the floor i think it says um do something each day that brings you closer to your dreams and i think that's a good one too of just writing a page for your screenplay or writing a new joke for for me for a piece of comedy or doing a bit of research to what the next product line should be with proper good or whatever it is just every day just trying to do something that nudges it forward when something's hard initially especially at first because there's I think every I think everything is difficult and challenging when you haven't done it before yeah but it's only going to get it to some degree even if you don't know when it's only going to get a little bit less challenging a little bit easier a little bit more fun a little like maybe not at first maybe not after four months or six months or a year but you just keep chipping away you just right. keep chipping away and like you're going to get there. And so I, I, I love that. As we're starting to wrap up the conversation a little bit, I want to do something with you I like doing with, uh, with each of the guests. Okay. It's called Five Question Flash. So I'm going to ask you five, just a, a compilation of random but epic questions that I love in my question right. toolbox. Sounds fun. <laughs> and I just want to hear the first, I don't know, first kind of thought or answer that comes to mind. Sounds good. Let's go for it. Okay, first one. What does the first 60 minutes of your day usually look like? Oh, I wake up straight to the kettle. I put the kettle on. While the kettle's boiling, I force myself to drink a glass of water. I don't want to. I know it's good for me. Uh, so I force myself to do that, and then I get my tea. And then I sit down <laughs> at, um, at the computer. And, yeah, I usually open Scrivener or Final Draft, which is where I write my comedy and my screenplays. And I have, you know, the first like 30 minutes is usually uninterrupted gen writing time. And then depending if stuff starts flooding in from the business, then I'll switch gears immediately and, and start focusing on that. And if it doesn't start flooding in, I'll probably cheaply keep working on my personal projects for the first hour of the day. I love it. I love it. What's a crazy dream that you currently have? Ooh, that's a great one. In my ideal scenario, um, within like the next, let's say three to five years, I will have done 
two different hour long comedy specials, which I've already written them uh, in, in main form. And now I'm trying to update them and improve them. I haven't recorded them, but I am working on them. And then probably sell a couple of scripts would be my crazy. So if I could do stand up specials, sell some scripts, that's my crazy dream alongside obviously my main job, which is proper good um and obviously building that company and you know potentially selling that in the future but in terms of the just me project it is uh yes just i know i'd like to make people laugh through positive comedy that's my personal mission i guess what is the first thing you do after a day of work and it could be pre-pandemic when you come home or it could be during the pandemic, when you're just like, okay, after dinner, or we're, we just need some chill time. What's the first thing you do? Sure. I, I mean, honestly, I think usually it's called my brother. My brother is like one of my, oh, I guess he's been my best friend my whole life, pretty much. So Chris and I, we often chit chat. Um, and then obviously the same would go for my husband. Like right now he's at home with me the whole time, which is awesome. But before he's a filmmaker, so before he'd be away, so it'd be kind of like calling Chris and calling Sweeney and they'd be my two like catch ups. And I guess pre pandemic would be getting home, taking off whatever clothes I had and then putting on like big pajamas and fluffy socks and, you know, that type of thing. Um, whereas the truth is now I tend to work a lot in my husband's pajamas and fluffy socks. Um, so uh, I, had, I actually feel like this has been one of my best years for work. And so now I'm beginning to feel like the more I look dressed for work, the less work I do. Um, so it's like if I've got, you know, no makeup, like dry skin, like hair that's a mess um, and my husband's pajamas on, then I've probably had a very successful day. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> What's one interesting thing that you've currently or recently been learning about? Oh, good question. Um, Could be anything. I yeah, I've, I mean, I've been learning about piano. To give you a little bit of context, I grew up in a, a non-musical family. I've never really played any instruments or anything. And I, I dabbled a little bit in guitar very poorly. And in the back of my head was I wanted to learn piano. And, you know, it's quite a humbling experience, I think, like sitting down and you know, starting at lesson one, which was, this is middle C. And I, I didn't know that. Obviously, since then, I've learned that most people know what middle C is. But, you know, if I'd have been on who wants to be a millionaire and someone said, you know, question one, what's middle C? I'd be like, I have no clue. Um, <laughs> whereas like now, um, you know, it's gradually coming together. So I've been trying to force myself to learn slowly with reading the music, which is painfully slow, as I mentioned earlier. When I say the words true enjoyment, mm -hmm. what comes to mind? Oh, I know exactly what comes to mind. True enjoyment for me would be me with all of my friends going for a surf in England where we happen to have in our bag, we take a bag on this surfing trip, not normal, obviously, but on this one we do as a waterproof bag that's full of thermoses of tea and cake. And um, we'd probably go hang out the back so we can't get our tea time disturbed. Obviously, some people would have to have pretty, you know, long boards with them. So we've got like a more of a tea area, not just surfboard, because um, they probably wouldn't be big enough. And then uh, lay out all the tea and cake and just hang out, chat, eat tea and cake. I know, and then go and catch the last wave in of the day and go hang on the beach. It's pretty epic. <laughs> tea, cake, surfing. 
to, to really kind of solidify this conversation, when, when things are all said and done, mm -hmm. or for some people that maybe don't know your story or haven't tasted all the epic things and proper good, and okay, they're, they want to, but they haven't started getting in there yet. What do you want someone's takeaway to be uh, from your message? What sort of message would you share with anybody uh, sure. from your work, your creativity, your passion, your life mission? I think number one, it, it would just be be kind. Personally, I think that's what I find pain is when I see people being bullied for insane things, you know, it just, just be kind to people, whoever they are, like just, I think that for me is the one thing. I think I love diversity, right? Like if we were all the same, how freaking boring would that be? It would be so boring. Give people kindness, let them be who they are, because I think that benefits all of us and makes life more interesting and allows you to, you know, learn and have fun and laugh. Kindness is where comedy does come from in a sense. You know what I mean? If you're angry, like you can't laugh. Be kind, work hard, and I think awesome stuff will come to you. You're doing lots of awesome stuff. We just got to keep keep spreading the, that kindness and compassion. And I think everyone's going to be doing awesome stuff. So, Jen, thank you for having this conversation. Well, same to you. Yeah, I really enjoyed, by the way, seeing your, your video of your walk and everything. And obviously, that's exactly on that same same plane. It's just, yeah, do, doing cool things and obviously raising money and helping other people. It's just, yeah, it's just fantastic. So, yeah, congrats to you. Hey, let's just keep helping other people and spreading that joy and eat, eating the cake, right? <laughs> definitely. Tea and cake is, uh, yeah, definitely. I'm fueled by tea and cake, that's for sure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me um, on this. It was fun. Uh, fun way to spend a Sunday morning. It's very good. Our music today was created by current freelance producer and editor, Bruno Jomedes Duarte. You can find more of Bruno's music at brunohd.com or check out his latest work on Spotify. Our unsung hero this week is Rob Merriman. Rob is currently the Junior Programs Coordinator for Nevada Tennis in Las Vegas and continues to put in hundreds of hours behind the scenes helping to create and carry out junior tennis tournaments for youth all over the country. From my personal experience working with Rob, he goes out of his way to make sure that every single competitor is provided with the best opportunity to enjoy their tournament experience, even if that means many late nights and extra hours of work for himself. Thank you, Rob, for your dedication to the sport of tennis and commitment to making sportsmanship and integrity the center of the game. And until we meet again, don't forget to keep living as you.